From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. What kinds of technologies do kids find creepy? And why would that question even come up? We have a couple of researchers from the University of Washington Information School. Alexis Hineker teaches at the Information School as an assistant professor, and Jason Yip is an assistant professor of digital youth. And I guess this began with you, Jason. You, you're working with the kids all the time to design things? Yeah, so we have a group called Kids Team UW. It's what we call uh, an intergenerational co-design group. And that's just a complicated way of saying kids come after school. Uh, and they design new technologies for other children. So we basically work with them. Uh, I have a group of volunteers, um, volunteer graduate and undergraduate students, uh, and we work with the same kids. Uh, Designing what? Uh, we've designed mobile apps, games, um, technologies for health. Uh, we also So stuff that might show up on my smartphone. Yeah, we've done work with Microsoft. We've done work with Amazon. We've done work with... Uh, Google. We've done a lot of things as well with our own like projects at the University of Washington. And kids were saying from time to time that some of the stuff that you had them work on was creepy. Um, yeah. So one of the one of the things we had done was we were trying to build a sleep tracker. When we first tried to do this project, we had kids um, look at a whole bunch of technologies, and one of the trackers was. Uh, was underneath your bed, right? So the children would sleep underneath <laughs> your bed, and then the tracker would be there. And I thought, like, okay, like, what do you think? What do y'all think about this tracker? And this like, ill, no, we don't want that. It's creepy. And I was like, why? It's just under your bed. And they're like, yeah, that's the problem. It's under your bed. Like things should not be monitoring under. And so that was one of the first um, thoughts. Was like, that's very interesting. I've never seen that before. So Alexis, how did you get involved? Uh, well, let's see. Jason and I were doing a project together on designing smart objects for families' meals. So could you have a plate that knows what's on it or a cup that knows how full it is and things like that? Um, and they, so we worked with Kids Team for a couple of sessions, and they came up with uh, just a huge array of different um, designs for that context, um, including like things that would follow you around and things that would uh, kind of notice your patterns and cook for you and stuff like that. And occasionally they'd kind of comment on each other's designs, calling them um, creepy. I don't want to use that. Why are you making creepy stuff? And I remember asking Jason, like, what do you think they mean when they say something is creepy? And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure that we really know that in a precise way. And so, so we decided to ran test with it, it huh? from there. And yeah. you got 11 kids. How did you, you chose the kids from the, the team that works with you, Jason? Yeah. So these kids have worked with me from like at minimum about one year at maximum to almost like four years. So I've mm -hmm. had a really strong relationship. And with so they're them. already pretty tech savvy then. They're pretty tech savvy. And one of the things that's actually also very interesting is that they also know how to talk about it. So instead of just interviewing a whole bunch of kids, like we could go ahead and try to interview 100, 200 children about Creepy, but it'd be very shallow. We wouldn't really be able to get a lot of data from it. Um, but instead, we went really in depth with these 11 children uh, over time, like trying to ask, like with four sessions, trying to work mm -hmm. with them. Uh, and basically, like we, we learned a lot from each of those sessions as we moved along and and sort of adjusted and thought about what that word meant. So did you find a common thread among these 11 kids as to what would really trigger the creepiness feeling? Yeah, for sure. We found um, a number of themes that showed up again and again. And, you know, on the surface, um, sometimes their reactions were different. So it's not that every child had the same reaction to every technology. There were different things that hit on different buttons for them. Um, but overall, we saw that the same kinds of fears came up again and again. Um, and the one that 
I found most interesting was um, how often kids would talk about um, technologies as being creepy if they saw some path to that particular technology getting in the way of their relationship with someone that they care about. Um, so technologies become creepy if they um, mimic the child and make parents think that the technology is is a replacement child or a technology oh, is creepy really? if it can trick you into thinking that your mom said something that she didn't. So it's too real? I mean, is this... It's too real, but it's too real in this very specific, intrusive way where it's getting in the way of um, an important attachment relationship for the child. But I mean, is, it, is this an indication that artificial intelligence, for example, could go too far by learning too much about the child and being too much like a parent or a friend? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, it's almost like the perception of that. You know, huh. one of our, our kids was saying things like, it's okay if my, my friends and family laugh at my jokes. I think that's totally fine. That's actually what jokes are meant to do. But if all of a sudden, like I said something and my voice assistants start to laugh at it, like then there's something very um, ambiguous, very uncertain. Like, like I don't know. You know and, and one of the things we learned a lot much more about this creepy word is that you know, all the things that Alexis was talking about, the sort of mimicry, deception, um, unpredictability, um, how it looks and feels, and also just lack of control, all kind of goes to like this unknown. And so with AI, that's one of our biggest questions. Like, how do families talk about artificial oh. intelligence? That's yeah, interesting because th- your name is Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, don't get me started on that. <laughs> so uh, and I've that's stopped a, replying to emails where someone calls I, me Alexa. So I know, but I mean that—that's essentially what these assistants are designed to do—is to be that kind of companion, right? Yeah, that's right. To be comfortable. And the kids don't like it. Um, I wouldn't say that they don't like it, but there are certain patterns of technology use where uh, it can raise this ambiguous possibility for them that perhaps it starts to interfere with their relationship. So kids would say things like, I don't want my parents to um, have a robot that seems too real because they might start to love it more than me. Things like that. Really? Yeah. That was surprising to us. Yeah. The fact that like, wait, you do you really think that like your parents are going to choose a robot over you and they're like right. maybe like you know these <laughs> if it things gets are getting, too real if it gets too real or the other opposite end was when i can't tell the difference between a robot and my parent or a robot's voice i mean yeah we're starting to see you know um voice assistants and others who are mimicking the the actual voice of politicians or famous right. people well that's a that's a real possibility you could get a phone call from someone who sounds like your parent but right. it isn't and it's all synthesized yeah and that yeah. was a very creepy possibility to them we well, saw that kids actually um were were kind of drawn to and liked mimicry when it was of animals or pets or animal like things so it wasn't so much that they um didn't like when it was realistic it was like that they didn't like when it was realistic in this very specific context so it sounds like there's a line here that you've discovered i mean it's a small sample of loving kids but it sounds like even at and that these were as young as seven right yeah as young as seven years okay old. so even even at that age there's a line they seem to be drawing here which is don't try to trick me that this is a an actual thinking feeling being it's just a computer even though like we knew that they would probably say things about harm physical harm like oh i'm, I'm worried that these technologies will invite strangers into my home to harm me or invite or, or it, the technology itself would physically hurt me. That wasn't surprising to us. But what was was, um, as Alexis said, the, the, the disruption of the relationship between uh, adult and child or parent and child in this way. And that, that's the question that we've, we all have now. Like, okay, so what is it 
that's going to be disruptive? What is it that the children perceive or don't know? And that's where they don't use words like scary, like, oh, the technology is scary and it's going to hurt me. They use words like creepy, like there's something not right. There's something unsettling about this. gradually working its Mm -hmm. way. They're worried about where this information will end up, that they're giving it? Uh, They do worry about that. They they worried a little bit about the lack of control, like they couldn't, like like many adults, they kind of worried about the flow of information. One of our kids was saying that, like, you know, with something that monitors, like, Maybe toothbrush or, you know, like brushing. Like now we have Internet of Things toothbrushes. That's right. Um, you know, they were like, oh, my gosh, what if this thing were to tell my parents stop feeding me candy? <laughs> and, that's right. like, and she said, like, this is my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that, like, you know, it's not just one thing. It's kind of the sort of like pervasiveness. Of Somebody would know every single thing you ever ate. Yeah, something like that. Right. But and you guys are busy inventing this stuff. So why are you inventing it? That's a good question. So one of the things is that I actually kind of like want to push back on some of those inventions. We did this study so that we can actually kind of have a checklist to see like, wait a sec, is this the right thing to really think about? You know, like these are things like it's just one more thing in the world that we have to consider as possibly having these sort of like subversive goals or the sort of uncertainty. So it was almost like a check for us as researchers but also a check for designers or even a a way for parents to talk about these kind of things. But I also think it's important not to kind of um, overreact. Like this is a specific investigation into one um, way in which technology can be problematic. But that certainly isn't to say that kind of all up technology isn't um, a good idea or we shouldn't pursue any of these design paths. It's just that we really want a nuanced understanding of what is valuable about these experiences and what is problematic about these experiences mm-hmm. and how can we guide designers to create products um, that kind of hit on the the things that customers and kids and other stakeholders um, value without undermining what matters to them. I find it reassuring, though, that even kids as young as seven have this concern that technology could go too far, especially when it comes to mimicking a human. But I wonder about the next generation, which will grow up having these things from the get-go. Well, you know, we saw a lot of um, what we called, what we thought of as both false positives and false negatives. So kids were worried about stuff that, you know, probably they don't really need to be scared of. They were worried about um, Amazon Echo killing them in their sleep and things like that. Um, but then, Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, how then, did that come up? <laughs> oh, well, there was this this wonderful quote that we included in the paper um, where we were talking to one of the kids and he was saying that he found the Amazon Echo really creepy. And Jason was like, why? And he was like, because when I ask it something like, can you call Jan Smith? It'll say, calling Jan Smith. And when I ask it something like, are you going to kill me in my sleep? It says, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. <laughs> So he really highlighted some of so, the. So he thought that she was withholding a, a secret plan of some kind. Like, and that's that sort of ambiguity and uncertainty that we're talking about. Um, we did another piece of work with uh, these voice assistants, and these sort of like neutral statements are actually not helpful. And it's hard to predict what kind of questions kids will ask. I mean, it's certainly like you could ask a million different questions to the, these devices. And, you know, and have like and the I don't knows may fit or not fit in this yeah. case. But but be, but some of the things that we're we as designers have to think a lot about is that maybe we have to consider like how these neutral answers, uh, you know, intentional or unintentional actually come out. Cause yeah, that's, Jason's that's, exactly right, because it really um, highlighted uh, the this ambiguity that was causing this sense of creepiness. So if you want to kind of double down on a feeling of ambiguity, then offer that kind of um, uncertain response. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there is an inherent deception here, because 
computers don't talk. They don't know how to talk. They don't know what talking is. They don't know what emotions are. You're basically creating an imitation of talking based on ones and zeros. So maybe instead of you know having a human voice say, I don't know, uh, create a beep, which indicates I'm a computer and I'm confused. Yeah, instead I like of, that. Let's know, bring it back to the kids. See I mean, yeah, what they say. I, I think that's right. You know, the idea of like the I don't knows aren't as helpful as we think. And that's kind of why we, we made this study so that designers could look and see like, oh, do our, do our products have these features? Do, are, they, are people going to interpret it in these ways? Uh, so creepiness can be broken down into our, our five themes as opposed to just saying it's creepy. Like that's not as helpful when we, it's uncertain. But if we can show you that like, oh, there are these aspects to it, like do our products have these aspects, right? And if, if so, then maybe we need to consider, you know, bringing kids along first to try it out and asking directly or working with them directly on, on addressing those yeah. themes. So what's your next non-creepy invention going to be? We're, we're thinking a lot about AI literacy for families. That's uh-huh. one of our biggest questions right now. So that would what would that look like? Is this another desktop thing that learns by listening to your conversations and does things like schedule events or or just talking about turning the lights on and off? <laughs> what are we talking about? I think that's some of the things we're talking about is actually showing some of, some of what's under the hood, you uh-huh. know, in like either coding tools or even like being able to like define what AI means. So uh-huh. part of it is the, the, the building of the product itself. It could be um, things like coding and building ways to teach computers to do things and that helping them understand like what it means as a computer progresses through learning. Oh, does that mean that there are things in my own life that also do the same thing, right? Mm. So, so at least dispelling some of the myths of what AI is, this, oh, no, like Terminator slash Skynet sort of view of it. Where that um, it might eventually uh, become sentient and start making decisions on its own? Yeah, but also like learning how to not just build the technology up, but also building the activities for families. And I think that's the second part that I think gets discredited quite a bit. We think a lot about... Um, the artifact, but I think both Alexis and I think a lot about the actual things that happen, like with the families in this case. Yeah. Do you understand what's going on when you when you set up a neural network and it learns something? From what I hear, the programming is now going from strictly rule based to setting up a neural network and then loading in data, and the computer figures it out, but no one really knows what it's thinking or what the inner workings are. Uh, and, and I'm just curious if you have any concerns about uh, not being able, when you use a system like that, not being able to debug it if it starts coming to a, a wrong decision unpredictably. That's a really long question. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to think about that. and I, I think about that in a family sense. I don't know what you think, Alexis. Um, I mean, there are you know so many different... Um, things that people mean when they say machine learning or artificial intelligence. And there's certainly, you know, lightweight classifiers that will make it really easy for you to see um, exactly which features went into the model and how those are weighted. And then there are others where it's uh, much harder for that to be transparent. Um, and I, I think that's a, you know, a really hard, broader question that kind of the information field and um, all the, the people who build on that are just wrestling with broadly. Um, and obviously that's created lots of challenges around um, policy um, in addition to questions around design and implementation. Yeah. But also if we think about it, like everything you just said, like how do we actually distill it for even children and families to understand? I think that's the bigger question in the next like five years as well. Like 
how do we actually explain what a neural network is and what it is that like you know kids are going to encounter or what it is that's you know shifting or change or for children to understand even like what is changing the hardware may stay the same but something's going on behind in the back end in the software in that sense so and in terms of explainability um there was a, a paper that came out recently that i really liked where they found that what um people really what users really value when they say they want transparency and they want explainability is less about um, a deep technical understanding of what's happening and more about uh, clear explanations of the motives behind it so who's behind the system and what do they want out of it and if you can make that transparent for people, I think um, you you really go a long way towards serving those values. Alexis Hinegar and Jason Yip, who work at the Information School at the UW. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, Not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.